This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're peering our way into episode number 37. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. Today, we are going to talk about why healthy gut flora is important for your baby. Really, it's important for you, and it's important for dad, and it's important for all of your children, but today we're going to focus on why it's so important for your baby. Gut flora is, there's... There's different names. I mean, people talk about good bacteria, beneficial bacteria. That's that's these gut flora. People talk about the microbiota of your body or the microbiome. I think that's the big scientific terminology for it now. But it's it's very important. This microbiome is essentially talking about all the critters that live in your digestive system all over your body really, but we're going to talk specifically about the digestive system. So if you were to unravel your entire digestive system, it would cover about the size of a tennis court. And there's something like a quadrillion different critters living in that. Like I said, there's also, I mean, you have microbiota all over you on your skin, um, in your ears. I mean, they're everywhere. But just in the digestive system is a whole quadrillion of these guys. Now, you will probably read some articles on the gut flora of, of babies, and you may read something about how a baby's gut is sterile, because that's been the traditional view. And some still really hold that view, but there's research to show that this, that this may not actually be the case, that baby's guts are not sterile in the womb. We do know, though, that regardless of if they're sterile in the womb or not, the baby's gut flora throughout life is still majorly influenced by events surrounding birth. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to give your baby healthy gut flora on that podcast, and I'm going to talk about a lot of things that you can do even during pregnancy, so if we do come to find out and science validates that the baby's gut flora is being developed during pregnancy, you'll know what to be doing even during pregnancy to help that. Right now, we're going to talk about why it's so important and why gut flora is so important. So research shows that that babies are born with some gut flora and we can help make a difference in that gut flora. But It's still majorly influenced by the newborn period, and really throughout the first several weeks, it's stabilizing throughout the first several days and the first several weeks, excuse me, and then when your baby starts solids and and begins eating more and then weans off of breast milk is about when the flora stabilizes, and it stays remarkably similar throughout the rest of a person's life, regardless of where they go or what cultures they become a part of or anything. The gut flora pretty much stays remarkably the same. So it's important to think about this because whatever is be- your baby is being set up for now, 
has a big influence on his or her gut health for the rest of their life. Birth, the type of birth that your baby has is a major influencer on the kind of flora that populates his or her skin and also the gut. So samples have been taken and we can see that what is present for baby at the moment of birth tends to be what colonizes the baby's gut, what colonizes the baby's skin. So during a vaginal birth, there's a lot of good bacteria that the baby gets. And it, it's actually shown that during pregnancy, uh, the mother's body, the vagina or the birth canal, actually increases the amount of lactobacilli, which are good bacteria. That actually increases. And other types of bacteria, their, their prominence decreases. It's really these lactobacilli flourish during pregnancy. And when baby comes down the birth canal, baby gets exposed to these good bacteria and baby also gets exposed to bacteria from the rectum. And that is also, we think of, you know, we think of bathroom stuff and potty stuff as being unclean, but some of those bacteria are, are not pathogenic bacteria. They're actually good bacteria. And what your baby is exposed to just in minute amounts is beneficial from both of these areas. When a baby is born by cesarean section, the bacteria that, that the baby is exposed to and that tend to take a prominent hold in the baby's gut are different. It's bacteria that are normally on the skin and Perhaps more worryingly, it's bacteria that live on the hospital personnel and on their equipment. Now, I realize that during a cesarean birth, the theory is, is that everything is sterile, sterile gloves, sterile equipment. But the reality is, is that you just really can't ever completely create a sterile field. And that baby is going to be exposed to things, even just coming up through mom's body. And that's one of the things that the research is showing is that on mom's on mom's skin so as the baby is in the process of being pulled up through the incision that is what is getting onto baby and colonizing baby and there's a much greater chance of things like e coli being the bacteria that colonize the baby as opposed to something like the lactobacilli so it's definitely something to something to keep in mind again these critters they stick around into adulthood, and that can that can be challenging for a person. If you've had gut issues, then you probably know this, and it's likely that part of the root of many of the gut issues that we see, I mean, it's almost ac- academic, it's almost epidemic, the rate of gut and bowel issues like irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease and Um, gluten sensitivity and all of these things they're problems going on in the gut and they could all have their root in the fact that many of us in this generation were born from totally medicalized births and all kinds of weird stuff happened like for our grandmother's twilight sleep and the baby being dragged out with instruments 
and then um, the rising rates of cesarean, just babies being kept away from their moms, and all the worry about creating a sterile field around birth, that the baby needs to come into a sterile environment. Well, that's not the case. The baby needs to be born into an environment with healthy bacteria so that his or her body will be properly colonized with the good bacteria. So we as a generation of mothers and fathers, and as we'll talk about, this is important for daddy too, I'll really talk about that next week, but as a generation of mothers and fathers, we have compromised uh, gut flora and that could have an implication even for our own children. So it's definitely something to think about and it's definitely something to be intentional about. There are times when cesareans and uh, instrumental delivery, so cesarean is, is certainly the intervention of choice today um, and maybe less traumatic than an instrumental delivery. But there are times that those are life-saving and those procedures are very helpful and certainly we would take the trade-off of having to work a little bit harder to establish baby's gut flora after a birth like that in order to have a, a healthy baby. But if it can be prevented, then it needs to be prevented. There's a new documentary that was up. It was trying to get funding through one of the through one of the funding sites, Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I don't remember which. But this film was just talking all about the microbiome and how that influences babies and how we could possibly be changing birth as or changing ourselves as a species by the way that we treat birth because we are totally changing the way that our species was designed to interact with all of these microscopic critters. We're just totally changing that. We're changing the way that they live in us and on us even just from the moment of birth, and there are big implications for that. Again, these critters stay into adulthood. They are never completely wiped out. Even when we take antibiotics and we kill a wide range of these bacteria, some of them never, never die out. Around the age of two, when usually uh, children are completely weaned, when the diet switches to being lower in fat naturally because breast milk is very high in fat, and once that's no longer a part of the diet, usually uh, humans are not eating quite as much fat. And at that point, the gut flora is completely stabilized, so that's around two. But the, the reason that this is important or so critical is because having the wrong bacterial cultured inside of you, living inside of you, could lead to problems. I already touched on the digestive problems. But there are theories that say that this could go even farther than just digestion or just the gut. And quote-unquote wrong bacteria could lead to increases in other problems that we see. For instance, asthma is one that they're really looking into now. Is the reason why childhood asthma rates are skyrocketing because so many people don't have healthy gut flora? Is the reason why immune disorders skyrocketing because people don't have healthy gut flora? And this one is the one that I really feel is very compelling the immune disorders because it's possible that if your body has been colonized or if your baby's body has been colonized by the wrong bacteria that your body recognizes this our bodies are smart 
we're infinitely complex, miraculous, and our bodies were created to work and to work in a balance. And that includes to work in a balance with the world around us and with the world inside of us. So when those critters inside of us are not the critters that our body needs, it's possible that our body sees that as an invader and as an attack. And that's where you get inflammatory conditions that are causing problems in the bowels. And even if it's not that overt or even if it doesn't, you know, it with IBS and other issues like that, it tends to flame up, especially when you eat certain foods, and then it's less at other times. But it could be that even if you don't have those flare-ups, that you always have this general low-level sense of of just discomfort or malaise. And how can a child possibly express that? They are <laughs> they're not very good at expressing their feelings, and I don't want to say in an intelligent way, but they don't they don't express their feelings well in a way that we can understand because they just don't have that life experience and certainly a baby can't express that so if they're constantly dealing with this low grade inflammation caused by their body constantly at war with the bacteria in their gut what are the results of that could it be a cranky baby there's definite evidence that shows that a baby's disposition can be influenced by what he or she gets at at birth and I can't I mean I can't claim to have a scientific study about this or anything but I know that I was a lot more careful with Corwin about my the gut flora that he was going to get and I can share I'm going to share more about this next week but I was really careful to help make sure that he was going to get healthy flora and he really was really calm in the newborn period and really laid back I wouldn't say at this point that he's that he's my most laid back temperamentally, frankly, because my fussiest baby ended up being really laid back once she got a little bit older, and she's still pretty laid back. But um, but he's had a pretty pretty cool personality, and during the newborn period, he especially had a laid back personality. When my, once my milk came in, he was a little bit fussy till the milk came in. But once my milk came in, he was just pretty much cool as a cucumber and really laid back and I sometimes wonder if those early days or in those early days if it made a big difference because he had good good gut flora so they think that and when I say they I'm talking about experts and researchers whatever we want to define as an expert but researchers who are looking into this think that it may influence a baby's disposition if there's good bacteria then the gut is comfortable and things are working well digestion is running smoothly and so the baby feels better and that can be seen in his or her disposition going back to the chronic low-grade inflammation if you constantly had your gut rumbling around or you were constantly feeling gas pains or something similar to that would you be in a good mood most of the time it would certainly affect your disposition. And then think about all of the autoimmune disorders that we see today and other problems that, that children and even even older people, I mean children, teenagers, adults, all of those problems that they have going above and beyond asthma. And what if those things were rooted in the fact that 
there's an incorrect balance of critters in the gut. What if all these problems, especially with women with chronic inflammation, are rooted in poor gut bacteria? I don't know the answers, but this is something that's been proposed. And to me, it really makes a lot of sense because things are fundamentally wrong at the core. There's stuff going on in your body that isn't happening right or isn't being taken care of or even like has been suggested, even with the bacteria that aren't supposed to be there, creating a constant response and a constant attack response for the baby or for you. It's definitely going to cause issues and it's definitely something to consider. Another thing to consider is how does this affect our ability to fight off infections that come at us from the outside? If the gut bacteria is healthy, then the gut is able to fight those things off. And if the gut bacteria is healthy, it's able to withstand things. For instance, an illness like diarrhea, where you can bet that some of the gut bacteria gets killed off during that because it's pretty harsh and it's uncomfortable. But if you have better gut bacteria then they're better able to fight that sort of thing off. They're better able to handle it. They're better able to reestablish themselves after that sort of sickness or infection. So they're there to help you with digesting food and with fighting off, with processing, with clearing out, with cleaning up. If you have good gut bacteria, it is helpful to you. There are just so many things that could be influenced by this. I've already mentioned celiac disease and, um, and asthma, but other things that they think may be influenced are food allergies. We're going to talk about that more next week too. But uh, skin conditions, uh, diabetes, especially type 1 diabetes. And some people say obesity. I don't know. It could be related, especially if the gut isn't functioning properly and which can sometimes they feel like can sometimes lead to cravings and things. So that could lead to obesity. But just think about all the possible implications all the way from the immune system fighting off things from the outside to the immune system turning on itself. So right now, there's not really a great strategy that we know of to be able to get the right bacterial flora into babies who have a C-section. There are things that have been suggested, for instance, probiotics, and that seems to be very intuitive, and I'm going to talk to you about this even more next week when I talk about what you can do to prepare yourself. But probiotics seem to only make a short-term difference. Something that's probably more promising than probiotics is to put maternal secretions from the mom into the baby. So that means just taking, for instance, a swab of the birth canal and then just putting that, swabbing that inside the baby's cheek or something. Or if you had had a home birth, then maybe right as soon as the baby's born, you would swab a little bit yourself on your finger and then swab the baby's mouth. Now, that automatically gives some people the ics and the EBGVs so they don't even want to think about it. So there haven't been a lot of studies, or I don't think there's been really any studies done on this. There aren't any published studies. But it's possible that doing this could help mimic nature and may help overcome what the babies come in contact with, especially if the mom has been consciously preparing and has a lot of good bacteria in there to help overcome anything that the baby may have gotten via cesarean section. 
There's another possibility, uh, fecal transplantation, which has been, this has been done in adults and has shown promising results, but nobody's done it in an infant. So I don't know that it really has any viability there. I'm going to link you to an article uh, by, oh, who is this by? Dr. Mark Sloan. He wrote a pretty good book too, but Dr. Sloan has written an article on on this whole gut flora issue, and I'm going to link that to you, and he covers some of these options pretty well. Also, another article I'm going to link you to is an article that really covers a lot of these possibilities as to what could be going on. Karen Levy wrote this article as to what could go on with your with your child if he or she is denied that sort of gut flora, and then you can get really in-depth in it. The, the, final, the final conclusion seems to be that the best strategy for healthy flora in baby is to have a vaginal birth and preferably as undisturbed a vaginal birth as possible. So this means nobody's fingers are up inside of the birth canal during labor. It's I don't understand why. I just don't understand why it's such an entrenched tradition to check progress. And this is in hospitals and birth centers and home, doctors and midwives, nurses. It doesn't matter. For almost everybody, it's let me check your dilation, let me check your dilation, let me check your dilation. I'm going to encourage you, Mama, that unless there is a super compelling reason for your dilation to be checked, you should tell him or her to keep their fingers out of the birth canal. That's your place. The only other person that's ever in there is your husband. I mean, that's for you. And obviously, your baby's going to come out of there. But even just sticking fingers up there, and yes, 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 mamas and daddies, you need to understand, even sticking fingers up there with a sterile glove is moving stuff around where it's not supposed to be, is bringing stuff in that's not supposed to be in there. These bacteria, these critters, I mean, how does a sourdough bread get started? How do you culture sauerkraut? Maybe you've never made these. But you can get a starter from your friend. But in the past, if they had a starter that failed, they started another starter by leaving a little clump of of the sourdough or the bread dough out to start fermenting. And it did that because there's stuff flying around in the air that went into it. And if you're starting sauerkraut, yeah, you can use a little sauerkraut juice from your last batch to kind of give it an inoculation of sauerkraut critters. But but it's the the stuff in the air, the yeasts and the bacterias and the things in the air that come into those breads, into those cultured vegetables, into those cultured drinks and have throughout humanity. So all that stuff is in the air. So even if your midwife or your doctor or your nurse puts on a sterile glove right then, there is something in the air. And especially if you're not at home, there may be something in the air that you really don't want. And that stuff is going to get on that glove from the time that it goes on until the time that it reaches the birth canal. Something's getting on there. Something's going up in there. Maybe she brushes your skin, your thigh, your belly. There's bacteria, there's microbiota there that belong there, but do not belong in the birth canal. Now, I feel a little bit differently that if you're doing something like perennial massage or if you're doing something like kefir, and we're going to talk about this more next week, kefir or yogurt to introduce probiotics, that's you, that's your body, that's your clean hands that you've washed just before you did this. And that's bringing in a beneficial probiotic. 
That's not the same as somebody in a hospital environment when you've been rolling all over hospital sheets or birth center sheets or hospital gown or the midwife, you know, I love midwives. I love my midwives and I don't want you to be scared of midwives or nurses or doctors. And if their hands are there to help you, then their hands are there to help you. But I want you to realize that their hands being inside of you are going to bring something in there that wasn't supposed to be in there and possibly introduce something that wasn't meant to go in baby's gut. Because honestly, your body was designed to give birth without an internal exam. Seriously, women have been doing it for ages. It's okay. So I'm not telling you don't ever get an internal exam. And I guess some women really want them, but most women don't like them. But just consider, consider the implications of that. Consider the importance of keeping that microbiota intact, even aside from all of the other reasons not to have a check, even aside from all of the other reasons to, uh, to go for a vaginal birth. So yes, when we talk about the ideal situation, we're talking about a vaginal birth where there are no fingers in the vagina, where the only thing going on in the vagina is the baby's head and the baby's body are on their way out. I mean, that's, that's the big deal. I realize that the ideal cannot always happen, and that's okay. Next week, we're going to talk about some more ways to handle that, and I've covered a few of them. I'm going to link to Dr. Slum's article so that we can talk about or so that you can read about that some more. But just remember that this is yet another one of the reasons why physiological normal birth is a good idea. And this is talking specifically about baby this week. So this is why it's a good idea for baby. In addition to the multitude of other reasons it's good for baby and the thousands of reasons that it's good for mama. Okay, with that, because I don't want to get rambly, I'll wrap up because next week is going to be a great episode where we talk a little bit more about the practical to complement this episode. I do hope that this episode has gotten you thinking about something that you may not have thought about before. I think it's pretty exciting and pretty cool. So um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Leave me a rating. Let me know what you think. You can leave a comment on iTunes. You can leave a rating in Stitcher or in any podcast directory. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you've got any suggestions, if there's anything you want to hear, if there's anything you think that I could do better. I always love to hear from you. And remember, if you are preparing for your baby right now, then you can head over to TrustBirth101.com. That's TrustBirth101.com and sign up to get your free guide to preparing for birth, how to enjoy a healthy pregnancy, and tips on how to bring up your baby once you've got your sweet little bundle in your arms. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.